Um, I'm Pastor Steve, lead pastor here. That was Pastor Andrew who was just here. You're welcome to uh, Bethel Christian Fellowship if this is your first time here. Um, and uh, we're talking about just sex. We're in our year of living justice. And so justice relates to a lot of things. Economics, we're going to talk about money, we're going to talk about power, we're going to talk about other things, but we have a series going right now about just sex. And what does justice mean when it ta- comes to sex? There's a lot of talk about uh, hashtag me too, lots of brokenness, lots of difficulty, lots of people questioning what's happening, and we've admitted that sometimes the church hasn't really talked about it, or sometimes we've given confusing signals. And so we're trying to be as honest as we can and go to what the Bible says, which is sometimes different than what you think maybe the Bible says, or you think you, or you might have heard even from the church. So we talked um, a previous time, and the last two times we had Andrew and Andrew and Sarah speaking, and they did a great job. Their uh, 10 uh, myths about sex I thought was fantastic. Uh, look, look those up on the website if you weren't here. And um, last time, Andrew talking about God created sex for my for his glory and he has a way for me to walk into it and how that transformed his life um i was great anyway so i'm going to continue and also circle back to some of what we said before we talked about the glory and the shame the last time i talked and today i want to talk about sex the fire and the flame just because it rhymes with shame i thought i'd do the flame but uh anyway um so we're going back to genesis uh um two one, we talked about the glory and how sex is created in the image of God, that our sexuality, our physical as well as spiritual beings, our relationships are created in God's image. And the triune God created people who were related to each other. And then chapter 2 explains a little more. So it says, then the Lord said, it's not good. After he said, good, 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 good about everything in creation, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who's just right for him. So somebody who could come alongside him and do this big work that he'd given him of caring for creation, ruling over creation. And so he caused the man to sleep. He made a woman out of the man's rib. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. So God is the father at the wedding. And he is bringing the bride to the groom. And he is saying, here I am presenting to you your bride. And so God's answer for a loneliness, uh, being alone and loneliness, and was intimacy, to know and to be known, and to be loved, to be accepted as you are. And that's something we're all striving for. We're all desiring. And it's something that, that we look for in sex and in, and in uh, being naked before each other, that we would be accepted as we are and accepted with our drives and our passions, etc. Um, so God's answer includes intimacy with the Creator who made us, and intimacy with in a community. So when He created people, it wasn't just that He created a woman, He created community, and we find our intimacy with each other in a community, in the church, and with other people. Um, and He also created intimacy in a marriage, and in a marriage covenant and family. So kids are supposed to learn about intimacy from their parents as they're, as they're babies and their parents look at them and say, I'm so glad to see you and that's, you're the sparkle in my eye and you have that interaction going on. The first year of life is all about joy and somebody loves me, cares for me, knows me, I can receive love. And often we're trying to build what we didn't get. We're trying to find other places 
um, if we didn't get that completely as, as infants. Um, but God's answer for loneliness is all those things. So when the next verse says, when God presents the bride, he says, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This is his vow. He says, yes, I do, absolutely. Um, it's not just an exclamation, it's a vow. He's accepting this partner, and it says, then there's a little explanation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So there was sex, there was sexuality there, created by God, and it was good, and there was no shame. And there was unity, and I want to just pull this apart a little bit, because I think oftentimes we, we get lost in the later things that are built off of this, the Ten Commandments that says don't commit adultery and, and the other commandments that say also not incest, not this, not that, and, and explain what we mean by only love one wife. Um, and so, But this is the positive vision that all of that's built off of. And this scripture is pulled off many times. So people say, well, what did Jesus say about sex? Well, he reaffirmed this. He said this is what was the intent from the beginning. You may have messed it up. When people asked about divorce and other things, he said, no, this is, this is what God intended from the beginning. And Paul reaffirms this, and, and uh, Malachi reaffirms the other places that this vision is reaffirmed. So let's just say God created sex, and he created marriage, and he made, created them together. So one man and his wife, an exclusive union of one man and one woman. That's what God created. Now, there are other things that happen in the Bible. We have examples of polygamy. Um, but, you know, ask Abraham, ask Jacob, is that a good, did it go well? Not really. There's not a good example of polygamy. It happens, but it's not an ideal set forth in Scripture. Um, he leaves. Uh, and also, we've, we talked about this earlier in our series, it's, it's about one man and one woman. It's uh, a heterosexual marriage. And it's one and one, not one plus one plus one in, in uh, however you do that illicitly or uh, officially, but it's, it also is a leaving. It's a public social occasion with consent, but consent from three parties, from the creator and the couple and the community. He leaves his father and mother, implies the father and mother come and they present the bride and there's a social occasion where we say, okay, here you go. And they present the husband and say, here you go. And just a little aside for the... Africans in the house, like myself. Um, do you notice that the man leaves? Did you catch that? Most of us think that the woman comes over and she joins me and joins my family. And, but actually, it says the man leaves. I think it was put that way specifically because the man's supposed to not just do what his mom... Now, now what his mom wants, his dad wants, is actually second to what his wife wants. No, that's not very African. That's very American, maybe. But uh, yeah, his wife becomes number one. And uh, so... And he cleaves in a loving, permanent covenant. Loving, permanent covenant. And a covenant is an agreement, a commitment that's much more than just a yeah. It's a, it's a commitment. A commitment like God has with us, that he's going to be faithful to us. Um, and there's one flesh. So sexual intercourse 
seals that covenant. So marriage implies sexual intercourse. We talked about how everybody is, are, we're all sexual beings. We all have sexual desires. We all relate to each other as men and women in different ways. But sexual intercourse in Scripture is reserved for a man and his wife. And that is part of the seal. And so all of these have to go together for the biblical vision to happen. You need to have the cleaving, the commitment, the covenant. You need to have the public consent from everybody. You need to have the one flesh, sexual intercourse. They all have to go together. And if you, if you miss out on one of those things, it's like sitting on a three-legged stool without a leg or putting a pot on a three-stoned three mafiga, is what we call them in Swahili, but uh, it falls off and, and, and dumps and puts out fire, right? Um, and finally, there's a union in fact, a reunion of two into one. Remember, it was the man, and then this part of him was taken out. And then in sexual intercourse, it's actually, they're put back together, and they become one flesh, it says. They become one, it's pointing to the sexual intercourse, they become one flesh. So it's a reunion of the two that were missing. Like the triunity, the triunion of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming, being one God. There's a there's something about the Trinity that happens in a marriage and even in sexual intercourse. We're, and now you're all going to say, well, that's, that, sounds, that sounds amazing. That sounds weird. Paul says, yeah, it's a mystery. Paul actually says a man, he picks up the same thing. He says a man should love his wife like he loves his own body because he said it essentially is your own body. It came out of you and you're uniting again with that one flesh and he says, but it's actually even a picture even more of Christ loving the church, giving himself up for the church. So we have a feeling that sex is somehow, you know, dirty, not something we talk about. Actually, it's a, it's a godly thing. It's picturing God and his love when, when there is sex and, and sexual intercourse. So um, sexual relationships... Uh, there are criminal sexual relationships. That's when there's no consent. And unfortunately, if you look at the statistics, there's a lot of no consent sexual relationships. Just recent statistics about how many women's first experience of sexual intercourse is not with consent. Half of them forced, half of them verbal persuading, pushing. A lot of things happen that are not consent. So people have said, no, consent is required, and that's absolutely true. So then we have consent by the adult couple to give their bodies. But usually that's really just a consumer exchange. Yeah, okay, I'm willing. Are you willing? Okay, sure. We just make an exchange. Even when people live together, it's still, in a, you know, this is working for now. This is a good deal. We talk about it, don't we? Oh, he's got a good deal. That is a bad deal. Who, she's, she's ugly. What, you know, we, we talk about it like it's a deal. Right? What was she hanging out with him for? And there is a step beyond consent and beyond giving our bodies to each other, and that is covenant. A commitment and a consent by the creator and the couple and the community to unite completely for life. So not just unite bodies, but unite legally and socially and financially and family-wise and everything. It means, yeah, you got to share the kitchen. 
and the car and uh, your bank account and a lot of other things, your bed even. And it's uncomfortable. It's fine, you know, initially, but then you find out the guy wasn't as great as you thought he was. Or she wasn't quite what, you know why? Because turns out we're sinners. And that's the beauty of this. Paul says in this Ephesians passage also, Christ gave himself up. He gave himself for the church so that the church could be sanctified by the washing of water by the word. So Christ gave himself, and this is where we give ourselves completely to somebody else. All of us. And in that process, we're able to be sanctified because somebody now can speak the truth to you. Everybody else used to go, yeah, you know, he's annoying, so I just don't talk to him anymore. Right? But you marry this person, and then, like, they got to talk to you. And so then they talk to you, and then you get fights and other things, because it turns out you're really a lot more of a sinner than you realized until you got married. Um, Well, most of you realize she or he is a sinner, but kind of in the process, if you're open to it, you find out, ah, I'm actually quite a bit of a... you got a chance to build your character in that sanctification process that's called marriage. Um, Because they tell you the truth, and they love you anyways, and they give you grace in their good marriage, and that only happens with covenant. If you're not in covenant, it gets too hard, and you bail out. And people say, you know, I don't need a covenant. I can just, you know, our love is fine as it is. In other words, I'm still looking. I'm still shopping. You're the best I've got so far. Right? I am not actually want that kind of love. I like what we have, the romance, the fun, the... But I don't want to, like, close all my other doors? Forever? Not really. Because there could be a better deal come along here. I'm still looking for that hot babe soulmate that could really... You're okay. You're pretty good. But, you know... Covenant is different. Covenant is, I'm stuck with you, and you're stuck with me, and so we're going to have to work on who we are (laughs) if it's going to be any better, right? Okay, we talked about, it went from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3, unfortunately. And they were, the serpent, if you have Genesis 3 in front of you, you've got a Bible in front of you there. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made, One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees of the trees in the garden? So Satan begins to question God's word. He questions God's word. He questions God's love. And things haven't changed. The world, the flesh, and the devil are still questioning things. Does God really love you? He's locking all the doors on you? You're stuck in that marriage? That sounds so boring. The ball and chain, really? And he questions if it's really love. If it's really God's love for you. Um, And remember this was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God had said, here is my, here's some information for you. Just so you know, you can freely eat from any of the trees in the garden. Just this one here of the knowledge of good and evil Don't eat from that one. And Satan questions, and here's the thing. He questions whether that's really 
God's love, whether it's, did God really say that? And um, we talked about how Eve doesn't remember God's word too well. She forgets he said freely eat, and she says eat, and then she says don't touch. And that's a, so both of those are places where we sometimes put bigger parameters around. We say you can't do that, can't do that, can't do, don't go anywhere near that. God said freely eat from any of the trees. They had wide open access, just this one. But see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that what that meant was I get to decide what's good or evil. God already told me this tree is going to make you die. This tree is poison. But I'd like to know if it really is. Maybe I should taste it and see if it's poison. Right? Isn't that the place where we all are? All the messages we get are, yeah, that's old-fashioned. You can decide. It's, you know, everybody knows what, what does your heart say? What, what, are, what are you after? What's, listen, you can't trust your heart, your emotions, your friends. Your, read the instructor's manual. He kind of knows how it goes. He said that's poison. So just go with that. But if you're not sure, you can always eat poison and find out, which is what they did. And it was worse than poison. Um, the tempter denies God's word. Um, so we looked at that last time, and the result was shame. They felt naked. And um, then blame, as they blamed each other and they hid. Um, but I want you to the, the appeal of the physical, emotional, spiritual of that fruit was, oh, it, but it looks good. It, it'll make me wise. It'll make me like God. I can decide myself. So the world is still telling us things that the Bible doesn't tell us about sex. Okay? Sex is not just an appetite. It's not an unavoidable drive. It's not just physical. It's not, we looked at last time, 1 Corinthians 7. It's not the... The body for the food and food for the body. No, sex was made, your body was made for God. It was not made for immorality. That's what Paul said. Um, sex is dirty. It's a necessary evil. This comes from the Greek background where, you know, the spiritual was really good. The physical was not so good. And it came in when the, when the church tried to adapt to the Greek world and, and they did a lot of good things but they, in that process, but they also made some compromises with the Greek thought. One of them was spiritual is better than physical. Augustine, he had a, he had a lot of sexual problems before he got saved, so when he got, became a real Christian, he was like, oh, not doing that, and he picked that platonic philosophy. The physical was bad. And so that kind of trickled down to, you know what? If you have to have sex to have kids, it's okay. Just don't enjoy it too much. Sometimes that was the attitude that came down. And so people think that's the church's attitude, that's the Bible's attitude sometimes. It's not. That's Greek philosophy. That's not the Bible. Um, we'll look at a few scriptures later on. Um, but it's not only private. This is one we have. It's primarily a path to self-fulfillment and expression. If I want to have sex as a way to express myself, my identity, my fulfillment, that's, that's what you should do. Don't let anybody stop you from fulfilling yourself. Rather, it's to know God. It's to build community, which will lead to fulfillment. 
But if you do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it with whatever, whoever you want to do it with, it's poison. In the end, it's not going to be fulfilling. And when you listen to everybody, that you, <laughs> you go to plays, you watch movies, you watch, people are, all kinds of things are happening, but you see the hearts cry. They really want somebody to actually be committed to them, to be in covenant with them, to accept them, even if they're doing all the other things. And it's not ultimate. God is the ultimate. It's not going to fulfill you in every way. It's not the ultimate experience. It's not everything that it's cracked up to be. Um, reality minus expectation equals happiness. This little equation of mine, I think Siddhartha Gautama came up with it first, the Buddha. Um, basically, he said, you know, if you don't desire things, you won't be unhappy. But uh, reality minus expectation equals happiness. So when the world expects too little of sex, they say it's just physical, it's no big deal. That's not true. Sex expresses God's image and love. It's a big deal. It's a huge thing. It's meant to bind you and so you could know each other, so you could be united as one flesh, one person. It's a big deal. At the same time, the world expects too much of sex. It says it's ultimate, but sex is not God. And sin has broken us, broken by rebellion and injustice, and it's not good. It's not all that great. So the result of that was sex, the shame. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They ran away from God, and they blamed each other, and pain entered the world because they rebelled against God. Sex was not the, the original sin, folks. Somebody might have gotten that confused, but it was not. <laughs> it was an original gift, but... Rebelling against God was, and it affected everything, including their sexuality. Um, and I'm not going to go deep into that. Joel Warren, my uh, spiritual director, just said this to me when I met with him this week, and I thought it was good. He said, Say, evangelicalism has failed us in that it has created heroes and unrealistic models to attain to and hate where we are and strive toward the noble goal. Like, I kiss dating goodbye, for example. We talked about that a little earlier. Um, or something... So noble. That's very harmful. We do better if we notice how God is currently living in, loving, and rejoicing in. The point is not striving to this goal, but trying to let myself be me. Finding Jesus and who he has made me to be. Living my full self, even when I'm afraid that I live my full self, I'll be reject rejected by others. We have to deal with the shame of some of these... So... Um, I'll give a little bit of, of uh, well, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that for a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit more how that re relates to my story. So re rebellion against God leads to unjust relationships in everything. The relationship with the ground was broken. Now it was all weeds. The relationship with each other was broken. Now there was desire and fighting for control, and, and there was pain and childbearing, and the relationship with God was broken. And there was blame. So, let's look at sex, the fire and the flame. Um, we've been reading Song of Solomon in the uh, Awaken Love, Sex for Married Men and Sex for Married Women class. And uh, Sex Song of Solomon is one of those things that uh, when you were a kid and you were reading through the Bible, you're like, what's this? How did this get in here? Fortunately, it's kind of in code. So when you're a kid, you don't know what the heck is going on. Um, when you're a married person, you're like, is that really in the Bible? Um, so, yeah, 
But one of the, probably the theme verse for Song of Solomon is, is this. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. And this is, people would wear a seal on their arm or, or on their chest that would declare. So she's saying, wear me, like, put me like a, like a seal. It's equivalent to a wedding band. It's saying, I'm committed to this one. I am sealed to this one. She says, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. And that, the word is actually kind of flame of the Lord. Because it, it could be a, the, the brightest, but it's also the, it's God. It has the Yahweh suffix on it. Many, many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it out. So usually you'd put on a fire with water, right? <clears throat> but it says, even many waters, even a river can't drown out love. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. And here's the thing. Like it or not, if you're married, your marriage matters more than anything else. Really. Um, so think about health and wealth. There's lots of wealthy people who've lost their health who would say, health is the greatest. It's much better to have health than to have wealth. And here he's saying it's much better to have love than to have wealth. The truth is, if your marriage is going well, you can go out, you know you're loved, you, go to the, you face whatever it is with your head up, feeling confident, even if you don't have a job, even if you're looking for stuff, even the things you're like, you know, it's okay. If your marriage is not good, it doesn't matter if you're CEO and you have $2 billion. You're not going to be that happy. And that's just, check the statistics. Um, so, Proverbs 6 says, so I just wanted you to notice the, uh, the comparison to a fire, that sex is compared to fire. Love is, so it's talking about love here, but if you look at Song of Solomon, it certainly includes sex. There's a whole lot of explicit, if, if couched things in the Song of Solomon about sex. It's saying that God has created sex. It's a good thing for a man and a woman to, to enjoy in their marriage. It refers to God's covenant with his people because... Marriage refers to God's covenant with his people. But if you, try to, if you try to make it too literally just about God, then you get really confused about what's going on in that book. But it's, it's about a love relationship and about sex. Um, Proverbs 6, also in the wisdom literature. So we talked about how this Genesis thing is carried on with don't commit adultery and other things not to do. And the wisdom literature is more where people say, you know, I have been watching and I've observed. And here's what I've noticed from all my experience. And so, <clears throat> in Proverbs, it's written to young men from their fathers, but you can flip it to young women. Uh, it says this, My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they'll protect you. When you wake, they'll advise you. So these words are God's words through your father and mother about how to live. Um, it will keep you from the immortal woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Jesus didn't invent that. He was quoting Proverbs in some sense. In other words, it's interesting how the Bible goes together. He says, don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. And that doesn't matter if she's on a, on a, uh, if she's real or if she's Memorex, if she's on a video screen or a, uh, don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty. But sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. 
He says, can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Um, so keep that flame picture in mind there. Um, Proverbs 5, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. May you, why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. There are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great uh, foolishness. I don't think it fit on the slide there. But um, So sex is compared to fire. So in, in our Awake and Love class, we've been encouraged to, uh, well, to light our wife's fire. So I, I, I took some pictures of lighting a wife, uh, my wife's fire. So you're just, um, yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> So Thursday, she was having some people over uh, for uh, uh, some of her work colleagues to uh, Coma Park, and we were um, going to have a bonfire together. So we, uh, so between meetings, I ran over and, and, and lit a fire. Um, now, I have a little experience with lighting fires. I'll tell you some of my experience. Some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. And uh, I thought, in fact, I'd probably demonstrate some. So... Um, when I was a kid, uh, there was a wastebasket full of uh, paper, and uh, I was, um, I, I must, we moved out of that house when I was in third grade, so I must have been pretty young. Um, so I thought it was pretty cool to light matches and uh, drop them in the wastebasket, because it was cool. They, they, they went out before they dropped in the wastebasket, and um, I did that a bunch of times, and then it started on fire. Uh, I was down in the basement of the house, and uh, my parents were upstairs with some guests. <clears throat> um, <laughs> fortunately, they smelled the smoke, and they ran down, and they grabbed that thing, threw it outside before it burned the house down. You know, we used to have some sayings about playing with fire and keep matches away from children and stuff like that, right? Yeah. There's reasons why we do that. Um, and there's reasons why we, another famous saying in Song of Solomon is, do not awake or arouse love until it so desires. We don't let kids play with matches. We do let them play with smartphones and screens and other things. Um, so just a recommendation for your kids they need to call home. Um, it works. Actually, I was, uh, we thought we were just behind the times because, you know, our, well, we were, some of this was intentional, but our kids never got smartphones until they were, well, some of them were in McAllister College and some of them uh, got in their senior year in high school when they could pay for them themselves, but we did give them phones like this so they could call home because they were an hour away if they weren't coming home. Um, but, um, and, you know, as far as the TV, we were Fortunately, there was no broadcast TV. We, we 
eventually, we had, didn't have a TV a lot of times. We eventually got a TV, and then they could pick any DVD on the shelf, anything we had there. Our, and I was surprised when we moved to Nairobi, our pastor there said it takes a village to raise a child, and Denzel Washington is not in my village. Um, I'm going to pick who's in my village. They can be on the video shelf, but I, so his grandparents gave a TV to the kids. He just didn't get an antenna. They said, oh, you can watch anything. And our kids didn't know that they were missing because there, was, um, there wasn't a lot of other options. I thought they were deprived. I'm actually pretty grateful they weren't able to access everything. But I was talking to somebody, somebody here about all the difficulty of doing that. When your kids are getting iPads at school and they're getting, uh, how do you stem it? It's not easy, but we need to be careful. And I was talking to Dave Sanquist, has some great ideas about filtering things and how to take care of stuff. But um, so, um, yeah, another time I was out in the, uh, actually, I, I thought I'd just demonstrate for you here, as long as I have some paper. Um, let's see. I thought we could just have a fire here and see how this goes. Um, you guys getting worried? Okay, yeah. It should be in a container, right? Um, so um, I just want to demonstrate to you my fire building skills. Um, I'm pretty good at this. As you saw in that picture, that was one match. Well, okay, one match went out before I got it there, but two matches. That, I, I built that fire there, and um, so, um, yeah, so we, uh, oh, no, there's not really enough kindling, so I think maybe we should just, uh, there we go. Um, so anyway, um, this proverb suggests that we should be careful what kind of containers we start our fire in, right? You, you really want a container that can contain the fire. So you can see the fire pit there was actually pretty able to contain that fire. Even though we were in Como Park, there was a pretty big area that was pretty well surrounded so that we wouldn't burn the place down. Now, another time, I, uh, after we moved from there, I don't remember how old I was. I was out in the, uh, out in the woods behind our house, and, uh, I, you know, you could, I was finding you could just light some little areas and, and burn them, and you could just kind of snuff them out, and, and it, was, it was a lot of fun. My dad, uh, my dad smelled that, too, somehow, um, and uh, I got in some trouble with that. Um, and so uh, I didn't burn the woods down, but I, I could have. Um, I thought it was pretty well put out. Um, but, you know, it's serious about don't arouse or awaken love. Another time, we had a campfire like this, and I love, I was kind of a pyromaniac, I'll admit it, as a kid. And uh, I love campfires. And so, you know, you get a stick, and you play it around there, and you swing it around, and you see all the designs you can make and whatever. And, and that was fun. But there is a little danger I didn't realize when you're taking things out of the fire and swinging it. So I, I sat down and uh, put my hand down like this, and turned out there was a coal and I had a blister, the whole, my whole palm became one big blister. If you get things out of the fire pit, it's, it's dangerous. If you get it out of that, and you know, um, to be honest, this kind of, uh, well, 
let's just be honest that fire is powerful. And sex is powerful. Um, and it can do a lot. It can do a lot of amazing stuff. Now, I found out a lot more about lighting fires because we had one of those at home. looked pretty much like that. And uh, we heated the house with that quite a bit of the time. So I learned how to actually build a fire. And not only the campfire, I, I told you one match. Okay, so the first one went out. Two matches. Um, I built that fire. But, uh, and one of, the, one of the things I realized is, is that it's powerful. And if, if it's contained, it's very positive. So we heated our whole house with that little wood stove. Um, but it's destructive if it's uncontained. And there's only one container strong enough for sex. It's the one designed by God. It's called a covenant, marriage, between a man and a woman for life. That's really the design of that. And it's powerful. In fact, if you, uh, any of you light a fire at your house this week, this uh, week? Yeah, some of you uh, turned on your furnace, maybe checked the pilot light. It's pretty nice to be able to warm up the house this week, wasn't it? And it's going to get nicer. Um, you see, sex is not just private. It's actually public. Because what's happening in the wood stove, in the marriage, in a family, can burn the house down, or it can warm the house up so nicely. If it's contained, not only needs to be contained, Paul See, the Bible actually, Song of Solomon actually encourages good sex. Paul actually says, your body belongs to your wife, husbands, and husbands, your body belongs. And he says, have sex. Have it regularly. Have it frequently. Don't deny each other. So the Bible actually tells you to have sex if you're married. The, the idea is to keep it warm. And you see, the better the container is, the more powerful the fire is. Now, so this is really good in your car. Right? Why is it good in your car? Because it burns. And because it's contained in a piston. And when that spark happens in that piston, there's an explosion and, and it it runs your car. You always all came here based on fire. Very contained. Very powerful fuel. Very contained. You had spark. You had, you had, you had a heat. You had air. And you had fuel, right? And you got here. But you see, it's more fun to do that. It's more fun to watch the fire. But that's not all that useful. I mean, you had to stand kind of close. You, you know how it is with the fire. You, you're sort of warm, but your backside's not quite warm. And, you're, you know, you're trying to... It's not the same as having it in your furnace or your water heater. So, yeah, my water heater uh, last year went out. And so I, I, what did I do? I pulled out the instructions, figured out how to, how to light the pilot, right? And then it wasn't lighting. And so I went to a friend and said, hey, I'm having trouble lighting my pilot. And he gave me this. Ben, Pastor Ben gave me this. 
very handy thing, and long enough to get in there and light my pilot. And I've had hot water ever since. Sometimes we need help from each other to figure out how to keep the flame going. We need to make sure that we can't tamp it all down and make sure there's no airflow. You don't contain it to the point where you strangle the covenant relationship, but there's no friends, there's no talking to anybody else, there's no, 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 you have a good airflow, but you can control the flame. Now, um, if you're single, um, so this is also very handy for uh, certain times when I might want to light my wife's fire. Um, little candle. Now, if you're single, you get the advantage of not just one candle. You can, you can have a lot of people, but not just, you know, candles. You get to have more people you relate to. And we'll talk about this later, but sex is a gift for everybody. And singleness is a gift. When Paul says it's a gift, he means it's a gift for the church. Whenever he talks about gifts, he says it's, you have a gift of leadership, it's for the church. A gift of teaching, it's for the church. Singles, your gift is, is for the church. And we're grateful that God is good enough to you and to us. And your marriage, if you're married, is also for the church and for the community. We need to share our gifts. We need to help each other out. Your kids are for the community. And you who don't have kids are for the kids in the community. Um, we need to bless each other. So, um, so I want you to notice. Uh, so let me ask you. Have you seen a wood stove like this in a movie or a TV show or anything else? Yeah? How often have you seen a wood stove like that? Not very often. How often have you seen an explosion? Yeah, okay. Or maybe a, maybe a fire in a fireplace. But Okay, let me ask you another question. How often have you seen sex in movie or TV or, or something else you're reading? Once in a while, huh? Yeah, okay. Um, how often have you seen a married couple enjoying sex? How often have you seen a religious, devoted to God, married couple enjoying sex? Never, right? Now you've seen religion keeping people from enjoying themselves, keeping people from having sex, keeping people from enjoying any of that, right? You've seen religion as the big damper. Right? Well, that's a lie. Even statistically. Obeying God has benefits even for sex. So maybe you can't read this, but it says, percentage of U.S. husbands and wives 18 to 50 strongly agreeing, I'm satisfied with my sexual relationship with my partner. So this is secular shared couples. This is less religious or mixed religious couples. This is highly religious couples. So... Not everybody's totally satisfied, but the highly religious couples are more satisfied with their sex life. They don't teach you that anywhere. At least not in movies, TV, college, I don't know. Have you heard that any place? How about this one? Percentage of U.S. husbands and wives reporting above average relationship quality. Um, highly religious is over here. So, men and women... So even statistically, there isn't anything that's come up better than following Jesus in his covenant and being in a covenant with each other. 
Nothing else has been invented. People keep complaining about it. They keep saying it's impossible. Well, it maybe is impossible if you don't have the presence and power of God to light your fire. Um, but let's not go with everybody. We're not everybody. Um, it's not impossible. Now, that's not to say love and sex don't require learning, work, giving, and time. So one of the lies we've been talking about even this, in this class is if you look in the movie, sex is always easy. Right? Automatic. Natural. Just happens. And they just both have simultaneous orgasms just beautifully as they fall into bed. They've never even met each other before. They didn't have to brush their teeth or anything. It's just fine. Right? But you know, scriptures. <laughs> scripture says, um, for the first year, it gives a man allowance not to go off to war or have to do everything so that he can bring happiness to his wife. Right? He's got a year off to figure it out. It's going to take him at least a year. Actually, a year is just a basis, you know, a beginning for figuring out how to make your wife happy. If you're a newlywed, use it. Take that time. Make her happy. The kids are going to come. Other things are going to happen. If you didn't do it when you were a newlywed, get your year started. Um, and keep learning. Because the, the truth is, she changes. And he changes. And you're married to different people as you go. Even if you were compatible, you thought so to start with, you're not going to, who knows where you're going to be later on. Because you're married to somebody else. Right? It's a lot of work. So, it requires giving. It's not a selfish thing. You've got to learn the joy of giving enjoyment. And there's a lot of joy in that. Okay? So, um, so when I learned how to start a fire, how to maintain a fire, how to get the fire at the right temperature so the house was not too hot and not too cold, and how to put, use the draft, um, I also learned how to... Oh, yeah. How to use this. Because you don't get anywhere without this. I learned how to chop down a tree so you could start here and then go here so that you get a wedge there and so the tree will fall down. Then how to limb the tree and how to cut the tree in lengths and how to split it and how to dry it, how to stack it, how to haul it in every Saturday so we had enough wood to... Uh, it's a lot of work. I also learned how to plant trees. And there are, there are trees that we planted. We planted several thousand trees. They're you know, this big now. My father-in-law burns wood all the time. So I asked him, how many trees did you plant this year? He said, oh, not very many, just a few hundred. He's 89. Um, he started planting trees on this place when, 60 years ago. So he's been planting, and he said, oh, yeah, last year I planted thousands of trees. So he's a farmer. He's, he's planted thousands of trees in his life, and he's cutting trees. When I go up there, usually have to spend some time hauling in wood or splitting wood or cutting wood or going and getting out of the, oh, these trees fell down. Let's go get them out of the woods. Um, it takes work, planting, time. If you want to keep the fire burning in your marriage, don't follow the movies. And expect some special, amazing, well, you know, I'd have sex, but we haven't been able to go off to a hotel or the kids are around, so we... We don't have time to really have just like 
nobody within a mile radius and whatever. You know, you want to have the pistons firing. And it's not that exciting. It's just, I mean, it's not like the amazing. You just need to, is it okay to just have regular sex? Not like amazing movie, you know, this should be in something else, you know. And you can, I know you can have a, sex, a marriage without sex. It's kind of like a movie without a soundtrack, you know. Um, you can do it, you know, like. But isn't it better when you have or, you know, like, it's a lot better with you know, so, you know, you get the, it's just more exciting if you put the soundtrack to it. And God designed it to be that way. In fact, he commands it. But you got to figure it out. You got to do some work. Um, it doesn't come automatically despite what the movies teach you. And the truth is, let's be honest, you've learned a lot more from movies and TV and other books and other friends and Cosmopolitan and whatever than you have from the manual. You read Song of Solomon once, you would, I don't get it, whatever. So, all fire and love on earth comes from the fire above. Now, if you think about it, the wood that is split and dried and stacked came from what? The sun, the coal, the oil, the wind, the solar, obviously, all comes from the sun, right? Am I right? And all the sex that you have and all the love you have comes from God who is love. It's all in his image. And we talked about the glory of God. The other thing that's used about fire is God. God is pictured as fire. And the glory of God showing up in the neighborhood we talked about had to be set apart. So this is, this is the one kind of power that doesn't come from the sun. It's the same kind of power as the sun or similar. It's nuclear power. And we are very careful to contain it, right? Just like God is holy and needs to have a place where that holiness and that power is there, it's a similar thing with our love. Um, we had the tabernacle. We talked about how God's presence was set apart, was holy, so that people could be there. Now, so that God could be present among a sinful people. So let's talk a little bit, because some of you are saying, oh, that's all fine and good. That's a nice ideal, but that's not how my life has been. So um, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The truth is most of us have tasted the shame and the blame. So, yeah, not only was I out in the wood once, woods once and, and lit a fire out behind our house when I was in junior high or high school, whatever it was, I also went out and found a, a paper bag with a pornographic magazine in it. And I looked at it. Now, my father-in-law, I think I've told you the story, when he found one, he took it and put it in the wood fire without looking at it while his son was looking, but he didn't know. That's the way to handle those things. I didn't. So there's shame that comes. All of us have shame, and it may, be, it may be that you didn't light the fire. There's a lot of you who got burned 
by a fire that you didn't light. Somebody else forced you to do something. Somebody else abused you. Somebody else made you naked when you didn't want to be naked. And yet you still feel shame. All of us also have sin. And shame and pain comes with that. Now, um, and so I grew up with this two unrealistic expectations. One was what I picked up from the church, even though the church didn't say too much about it, and it was a lot of my own misinterpretation, I'm sure, but I got the idea that the physical is not as good as the spiritual. So the physical is bad. And so my sexual desires, my body, um, that's all covered under don't look at a woman to lust after her. So any feelings I have, any time I, I touch any place I shouldn't, any, it's all lust. I didn't get God created me this way. and He built this house, and he has a purpose for it. And yes, I need to be careful with it. But So that was the one expectation, that I'll never look at anything bad. I'll never have feelings for any woman. I'll never touch myself. I'll never do any of that. Then I had this other expectation. So I didn't... Pastor Andrew shared about not growing up in the church. I'll share my, what I grew up in the church. The other side was, well, there was Fantasy Island and there was Love Boat. And I did watch those when we got a TV when I was nine. And I, my parents came home. Of course, I shut it off and crawled over someplace else, you know. But that triggered some other kind of thing about sex is the ultimate. Sex is amazing. Sex is unrealistically incredible. So a double unrealistic expectation in opposite directions. And so I grew up with uh, a two-story house. Okay, so if you came into my house, I was the preacher's kid, the good preacher's kid. I was the missionary, the pastor. The Everything's clean in my house. Of course, there's a basement, but I'm not going to take you in the basement. Because my basement... Uh, well, okay, so this is... This, the, I'm gonna, this is the addicting beliefs. When people have an addiction, this is the kind of things they believe. Um, but it really comes from the accuser. Not only ourselves, but they, I'm basically a bad, unworthy person. No one would love me as I am if they knew who I really am. My needs are never going to be met if I depend on others. And sex is my most important need, or for an alcoholic, it would be alcohol, or it could be work, or it could be I need to be married, or I need to... It could be anything, right? Anything that we make into that idol. And, of course, it relieves the loneliness, right, and the isolation. And we're increasing in loneliness and isolation. Depression among college students has been tracked for 50 years. It keeps getting more and more. And actually, one of the, one of the reasons people say that uh, young people in their 20s are more depressed now is they're having less sex. They're getting married later. They're having less real relationship. But it's not just them, folks. <laughs> We're all addicted to the easy thing instead of the real relationship. Anyways, that's the kind of things that you feel about your basement. So I, I would have a basement that every once in a while, I'd, you know, I'd fall through the trap door. And I'm like, oh, no, I said I was never going to be here again. And, but here I was again in my basement. It was this kind of dirty basement. You guys all have seen a basement like that. 
You probably have a basement like that, but you haven't let me in it, have you? No. Um, you got a dirty basement. It's got all kinds of junk stored down there, and who knows what's running around there, and what kind of mold and whatever is going down there, right? And once in a while you fall through the trap door and go up there, and then you, quick as you can, clean up and come upstairs. Shut the door, lock it, make sure you never go down there, and no, let anybody else down there. I want to tell you something. God made the whole house. That's something I didn't discover until later, was God made me a sexual being. Now, he wants to go down there, and he wants to open up the windows. He wanted to open up the windows, and he wanted me to let him clean up. He knew I couldn't clean up. So he said, just, just let me in the basement. I'll clean it up. You'd be amazed what I can do with your basement. And he wanted me to invite a few people in the basement. Now, I don't invite everybody in my basement. But I have a few people that, are, that I invite in my basement, a few people who know really what's everything that's going on with me. And I hope you do too. Because if we confess our faults one to another, we'll be healed. If we confess our faults to God, he said he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He can actually make his justice forgive us from our sins because he died on the cross. He wants to clean up your basement. He wants to make it this kind of basement. He wants your whole house. I don't know what you got in your basement. Maybe it's not even sexual stuff. Maybe it's something else you're ashamed of, something else that you fall into, something else that... But God built all of you for his glory. And he wants to fix it all up. He wants you to let him in all the closets, all the rooms, all the places, so you don't have to live a split-level life. But you can be a whole person. And you can invite people over. And you can invite God over. And he can be part of every part of you. Every part of your day, every part of your life. And God is able to do that. So we talked about knowing and obeying God's word, accepting God's grace, experiencing God's love. We talked about how at the end of this, the Lord God made clothing for animal skins for Adam and his wife, an initial covering of their shame. But we talked about sex and grace. We're going to come to this table. We're going to remember that Jesus was naked on the cross even though we have to paint it different. We have to cover it up to make it decent. He was naked on the cross. He took your pain. He took your shame. He took whatever is going on with you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And he wants you to come to him. He's inviting you to come naked and unashamed. He's inviting you to come naked so he can put his white robe on you that he bought with this. So if the worship team would come, we're going to uh, have communion and others who are going to serve communion, if you would come. This is where we remember that Christ died for us to take our shame, not only to take our shame and give us grace, but to transform us into who we want to be, to build the whole house anew, So, uh, if you're here with any of your kids, you can decide if they are, if you want them to participate. If you're here and uh, 
and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to join us. You don't have to be part of our church as long as you have a relationship with Jesus. When we pass out the elements, I want you to hold them so we can eat together. Um, and let me just say something else. If you're here and you're not sure about following Jesus, um, this was kind of a talk to ourselves. Among those of us who have committed ourselves to Jesus, who've fallen in love with him, who already have experienced that love relationship with him. So we found out that love is way better than anything else. And not only that, but it, it invades and it blesses everything else. And so we're in love with him and we're finding what he's doing in our sexual lives and all the rest of our lives amazing. If you are not sure you want to follow Jesus, you haven't known his his love and his grace to you yet? Well, this would be a great day to decide that. But I get it if you're saying, I don't want to go there. These people are weird. They got weird ideas about sex. and I'd have to give up sex. Sex is important to me. I get it. You haven't met the great lover yet. I'm going to invite you to do that. And then, then it'll make sense to you. Um, and he, he can uh, transform you into something new. So, um, we're going we're gonna to pass these out. There is some gluten-free here if you want that, need that.